The Funambulist Podcast by Léopold Lambert. Today, the French counter-revolutionary architecture in 1950s Algeria with Samia Eni. Hello everyone, today my guest is uh, Samia Hani, who's uh, an Algeria-born uh, architect who's currently teaching at uh, the GTA Institute at ETH in Zurich uh, and she works in the intersection between colonialism, military interventions in our, uh, and architecture and urbanism. Uh, hello Samia. Hello. Uh, thank you very much for not only taking the time to um, answer to this interview, but also for introducing me to your incredible exhibition here at uh, the GTA in uh, ETH, uh, Discrete Violence, Architecture and the French War in Algeria. And this is specifically what we are going to talk about today. But as you told me, it is actually a, a one chapter of your much broader research uh, about um, French colonialism in Algeria, the architecture of French colonialism in Algeria. Um, could you maybe in a few minutes just tell us a little bit more about this sort of the, the, the globality of this work? Sure. So first of all, thank you very much uh, for this conversation. Um, Yeah, my my PhD um, is about, um, as you well said, the intersection between military operations and colonial uh, uh, practices um, in Algeria during the Algerian War of Independence. So yes, it's about French civil and military operations. Um, uh, the dissertation, which is also uh, becoming a book that will be published in September, Uh, is titled Architecture of Counter-Revolution, the French Army in Northern Algeria. Um, Counter-Revolution, because in a way I try to understand uh, all the infrastructure, uh, uh, all the settlements, the destructions and the constructions that uh, were designed and built, completed, Uh, during the Algerian War of Independence or the Algerian Revolution in order to impede the revolution. And that's why it's counter-revolution. And by the way, the term counter-revolution is the, let's say, preceded counter, what we, we know today uh, with uh, counter-insurgency. Mm. So uh, insurgency, counter-insurgency, revolution, counter-revolution, uh, the term revolution And counter-revolution became forbidden. I mean, it was used during the Algerian War of Independence. But um, the, today governments don't use counter-revolution anymore, but use counter-insurgency because they don't want to um, accept the collapse of a government. So mm -hmm. counter-insurgency means that uh, a government can still deal with the insurgency. Mm -hmm. When so, you say counter-revolution, you say revolution, right? Exactly. Yeah. And the revolution means the collapse of the government. And in a way, yes, in Algeria, there was a collapse of the Fourth Republic, of the French Fourth Republic in 1958, and the return of General Charles de Gaulle to power. So there was a revolution, and there was also many revolutions and insurgencies in Algeria since 1830, since the, the, the colonization 
of the Algerian people and the Algerian territory. So this dissertation is about um, trying to yes exactly so it's 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 to deconstruct these uh, settlements, this architecture, this infrastructure, and I focus on three main parts. The first one um, is on the creation of uh, forbidden zones uh, that also led to the creation of what the French army called les centres de regroupement, uh, what we, we can translate the centre de regroupement as les camps or camp, regrouping camps. Uh, the second part is uh, related to the um, uh, initiation uh, and the détournement of the military purpose of the war uh, and the creation or the launching of a five-year social development plan called Le Plan de Constantine. Um, and I particularly worked on the um, housing for one million people. So it's really large-scale mass housing projects in northern in the northern part of Algeria, and the last part is related to um, the attempts at protecting French civil servants working in Algiers against the terrorist attack of a French paramilitary uh, group called OAS, Organisation Armée Secrète, Secret Army Organization. So. Uh, they created a new town, fortified town, uh, called Rochenois, the Black Rock. So these are like the three parts. Mm -hmm. And in the exhibition, I tried really to um, unpack one fragment and one taboo somehow, which, which are the uh, camps de regroupement. Mm -hmm. um, so that's exactly what we're going to talk about for the next uh, 30, 40 minutes. Um, and... Uh, But before we do so, it's probably good to uh, recall a few, uh, to contextualize a little bit uh, uh, the Algerian Revolution uh, for maybe listeners who might not be so uh, aware of it, uh, including many French, I'm afraid. Uh, but uh, could you could you give us a few um, uh, a little outline of how this uh, how the Algerian Revolution uh, deployed itself from 1954 to all the way to the independence in 1962? Sure. Um, many people say, or historians say, that the French Revolution, uh, the Algerian Revolution, <laughs> 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 because, um, yeah, the French Revolution has another uh, very important part also in, in uh, yes, in, in what I try to do. Mm. Uh, um, so the Algerian Revolution did not start in 1954. I mean, it started much earlier. Some people said it has always started. It started with the with the, the the colonization of the Algerian people and the Algerian territory in 1830, because there were always many revolutions. But uh, let's say in 1945, after the Second World War, maybe we start with the, with the, with mm -hmm. the Second World War. Many Algerians. Um, served and many Moroccans, many Tunisians, and many colonized uh, men um, from the African continent worked for the French army. Um, this was the case in, uh, for the French, but also British and all European powers. They used the colonized bodies to uh, wage their uh, savage wars. Um, and during the, the Second World War, the French uh, promised many things to the Algerian people, and somehow they did not fulfill their promises. Uh, 
Mm. So in um, on the 8th of May, um, while the Europeans, but also the French people were celebrating the so-called liberation of uh, Paris, uh, and the same day there were uh, revolts and protests and insurgency uh, in uh, several cities in, in Algeria, and unfortunately the French authorities um, reacted violently and killed many people. So this was somehow the first really uh, be beginning of the Algerian War of Independence. And uh, maybe in, uh, talking about this, because in my dissertation I also try to show the legacies between the Vichy regime, so the Second World War, the fascist regime, the French fascist regime, the colonial practices before the, the Vichy regime and after the Second World War, after the Vichy regime, and uh, the return of this or the exploitation or the exchange of these practices from Algeria to, to France. So there, was, there were really this, um, uh, yeah, exchange somehow between uh, the Vichy France, the independent France, and the colonial uh, Algeria somehow. So if we start, if we talk pre pre precisely about the Algerian War of Independence or about the Algerian Revolution with the, with, that started, let's say, officially um, on the 1st of November 1954 um, in several places, but maybe particularly in the Ores, El Ores, uh, which was a very large... Um, uh, mountainous uh, uh, area and served um, or was was then used by the French army as almost um, a uh, as it, they were as they call it a laboratory. So they tried almost uh, several uh, counter revolutionary policies there. Uh, also, the state of emergency started in the Ores first, and then it was applied over the whole territory of Algeria. Mm. They started also this uh, camp de regroupement, or this zone of insecurity in the Ores uh, that became also zone interdite, forbidden zones. And they created the first camps there, they tested it, and then they applied it to uh, other uh, uh, parts of, um, of Algeria. So um, maybe I can, I can uh, divide the... The Algerian Revolution in three parts, just because I use these parts to show how the consequences of this war, um, or maybe the, the consequences of this war on the Algerian territory, on the spatial transformation of the territory. So I, I started in, but this is one of the many uh, possible. Uh, division or categorization or classification. Eh? There are really many, depends on what one would like to uh, focus on. So 1954, until the first general uh, putsch in Algiers in 1958, uh, 13th of May, 1958. Uh, in these, um, let's say, years, um, at the very beginning of the war, let's say, there were the civil 
and the military authorities, they were divided. And by 1958, it was one. The military took over. They were governing, administering everything. The police, include, including the, the police. Eh? So it's really, it was a, a highly militarized state. In 58, with the first uh, coup d'etat, putsch, um, I called it in the book or in the manuscript uh, a French Revolution, really, or a French Civil War, uh, because in a way the government, uh, the, the Fourth Republic collapsed, but also there was a French-French war, not anymore, not only an, a French-Algerian war, an Algerian-Algerian war, but also a French-French war. Um, and the return of General de Gaulle uh, somehow uh, brought back, you know, it, yeah, some people uh, um, um, compare this moment to the liberation of uh, France from the Vichy, from Pétain, from the Vichy regime and from the Nazi Germany. Uh, they compare this moment to the liberation, of the, the God's libera liberation from General Salon and uh, some French uh, military officers who were against the independence of Algeria. So he came back and he liberated somehow uh, and French Algeria or Algeria under colonial rule from this man. This is a very important moment because in 58, when the Gaulle came back, he uh, launched uh, this uh, very, very large um, uh, plan, social economic plan called Le Plan de Constantine. It was not only for housing, but also for uh, industry, uh, for the industry, um, and for really all the aspects of almost daily life of French colons. Uh, who were living in uh, Algeria for European, for Algerians, for labor, for, I mean, he really tried to uh, divert the purpose of the war and to invest, um, to invest money and to say uh, that almost all, everybody now is part of this country. So he indirectly acknowledged that uh, the Algerian people were not part of it. Um, and then the third part um, starts in 1961. I mean, the last two years of uh, of the Algerian Revolution, so 1961, 1962, and with this, with 1961 there was the second uh, general putsch um, and the establishment of the uh, uh, secret army organization. Uh, which was also against the independence of Algeria. So these maybe these are like the three crucial moments, but there are many, many, many other moments. Uh, for example, uh, with uh, uh, when the when uh, sorry not the Gaulle but uh, the Fourth Republic nominated um, a um, um, ethno ethnologist uh, Soustel. He was a French ethnologist who, who was representing the French government in Algeria. So he used um, a number of um, social and psychological weapons against the Algerian population. This is also, I think, a crucial moment also in the history of French ethnology or French colonial ethnology. So uh, maybe, yeah, maybe these are the, the most... Uh, 
relevant moment maybe for this manuscript, not mm-hmm. for the revolution per se. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so going a little bit closer uh, geographically to uh, to the Ores, uh, so we're we're describing this region. Uh, says it's the most northeastern region of Algeria, uh, pretty close from Tunisia for people to. Um, to uh, localize it, um, Constantine is part of uh, the Ores, so like the second or third biggest city of, of Algeria. Um, and so, and so, your your research in general and your exhibition in particular are very much looking at those uh, regroup, regrouping camps and the forbidden zones uh, that were designated uh, inside this territory. Could you could you give us a much detailed uh, uh, description of them? Sure. Um, so when the revolution started in the Ores, but also in other places, um, in Algeria, um, the French army uh, or some part of the French army found these places too remote, isolated, and too di- difficult to penetrate somehow. They were far from urban areas. Uh, but they were inhabited. I mean, there were Algerian people living in these areas. So what they did at the very beginning of the of the of the revolution, they demarcated these areas as zones of insecurity, insecurity for the French army. So when uh, so it was a way to way of protecting the French army. Um, and then they were also called the, the zone contaminé, contaminated areas, because they. The, the argument was that um, the the Algerian uh, liberation fighters were living within the population, so the population was was supporting them materially, psychologically, I mean physically. They were feeding them, uh, so somehow they uh, cut this support and they evacuated all these large areas of woodlands, uh, mountainous regions, but inhabited regions, they forcibly uh, evacuated, freed all these areas from human being. I mean, they called it at the beginning from living beings, so human beings and animals. I mean, no one was allowed to live in these areas. So they um, evacuated these areas and created what they called les camps, les centres de regroupement. The term camp and the term concentration, for obvious reasons, were forbidden. So they created this uh, euphemistic uh, mm-hmm. appellation, les centres de regroupement. Um, and we are talking about 2,500,000 people about 3,770 camps uh, all over Algeria. The situation in these camps was uh, very different from camp to camp, from uh, administrator to administrator. Um, In a way, it's very, very difficult to generalize. I tried in the book uh, to depict very specific histories, like micro-histories, well-situated, and, and, and uh, I also try to um, uh, question these witnesses of the administrators, but also of the people. I mean, how uh, uh, this population was evacuated, where they lived, how they lived, uh, 
and many of them died, of course. I mean, we should always remember that we are in a state of emergency, in a state of a war. So there was um, everything was was made in a in a in a very uh, chaotic way, and uh, there was almost no time to evacuate these people. And in 19, um, from 1954 until 1959, these camps were created uh, all over uh, Algeria, and they were somehow chaotically created until 1957, when uh, Salon, uh, General Salon, for example, but also other people like Maurice Papon, uh, tried to centralize the forced evacuation of the of the civilians and the creation of these camps. And in 1959, with a, a leak of a report written by uh, Michel Rocard, the existence of the camp became uh, public. And there was this media scandal, and the French, uh, let's say, public opinion became aware of the existence of this, of this camp, of these camps, but also internationally, uh, the United Nations, uh, where all the members of the United Nations also uh, became aware, and the camps somehow were used to, um, let's say, by the Algerian, it, they were used to claim their independence and to show the, the colonial violence. And the French tried to offer a counter-narrative, and they um, proposed that these camps uh, should be turned into villages. And then they created this strategy or this policy of the mille village, uh, specifically um, Paul de Louvrier, who is well known in uh, France uh, for his... Um, um, creation of the new towns. Eh? He's the father of the new towns uh, uh, in France and specifically in the uh, agglomeration of Paris. Um, and he was responsible for the transformation of these camps into villages and he launched this policy of the uh, mille village. He um, appointed even uh, mobile uh, teams for rural planning uh, to in order to transform these camps and to um, create permanent villages, which of course the term village is an, an inappropriate. I mean, I should not even say it, but it's again another uh, euphemistic appellation. I mean, the village somehow was not really a village, especially if you see the exhibition, if you see all these pictures and the videos, you see that they were like another version of the camps that were built before uh, the appointment of uh, Paul de Louvrier. Mm -hmm. um, something that we talked about when we prepared this conversation it was uh, specifically um, the, use of, the use of images uh, that uh, you had to work with, uh, archival images uh, coming directly from the French army and being part of this counter-narrative uh, that sort of tries to to present things in their in their best uh, appearance, so to speak. Um, could you could you tell us a little bit about that and how um, 
and how you manage to to use them still to serve the, the narrative that you'd like to you like to propose in this exhibition? Sure. Um, let's say the uh, this these images that we that are displayed here, uh, and also those that I will be publishing in the book. Uh, were produced by the French Army, by uh, the SCA, Service Cinématographique des Armées, which was um, a propaganda uh, office created after, uh, sorry, if I'm not mistaken, uh, during the Second World War, but um, I can't, um, I'm not really sure. But it was in the, in the 40s, it was created um, in order to support the, the narrative Uh, of uh, the army uh, it was somehow um, inc improved uh, during the Algerian War of Independence there were several bureaus working on several uh, uh, issues, they produced both photographs but also videos, videos like films uh, feature films but also documentaries in order to uh, document the between brackets, of course, the great achievements of colonialism in Algeria. Uh, and they were really celebrating uh, what they were somehow doing. Um, this should... Uh, yeah, maybe this, these photographs and these um, uh, videos should also be associated with the creation of the state of emergency in 1955 that allowed the French government to control the media. Allowed, it allowed also the French government to control theater, uh, plays, uh, spectacles, uh, cinemas, newspaper, books, publications, I mean, any kind of information. Um, the state of emergency is the same, uh, the same law of the state of emergency that was created in 1955 was uh, reactivated in the, in 2015 with the Paris attack. So it's mm -hmm. the same uh, law. And then we are not only talking about the past, we are also talking about uh, the present. Um, so the images that were produced during the Algerian revolution uh, were controlled and orchestrated by the French government, by this Uh, by special, uh, let's say, units uh, that were controlling this um, production, visual production. So when I was trying to find images and to uh, understand uh, how these spaces, how these uh, camps uh, looked like, I was only confronted with these, with the images that you see here in the exhibition. So they were almost like all showing a, yeah, a, one aspect of of the of the narrative. But still, for me, it was still enough because the text is saying something else. These images is, are showing uh, something, and then there are also. Uh, the newspaper that are contradicting what the images are saying, and then there are this internal communication, the, the, all the um, regulations and directives and decrees that were being issued uh, uh, among the French army 
uh, and they are all accessible today at the service historique de l'armée de terre uh, at the Chateau de Vincennes. And they are also contradicting one of these four uh, uh, aspects. So in a way, it's a juxtaposition of uh, a number of voices, a number of uh, narratives that contradict each other. Um, but at the end, there is somehow what, uh, the, the voice of the facts. I mean, the voice of the facts uh, came, at least in this case, from the witnesses of the officers themselves or of the people who were uh, who were being evacuated. Mm -hmm. So I, maybe methodologically speaking, I really tried to include as many voices as possible and to be extremely precise, extre I mean, to include and to... Uh, uh, almost give more prior priority to micro-histories than to a general uh, uh, statement. So these images allowed me to show what they are not showing, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a contradiction. But thanks to the other sources, I think it, it becomes, or it became, maybe you should tell me if it was, visible or understandable from the exhibition <laughs> well something we were talking about which is frankly fascinating is how photos sometimes those photos sometimes are failing at not showing something and how you would see somewhere in the background uh, you know we were looking particularly at watchtowers for example or uh, it would really show the, the those camps a little uh, Um, but again, like in a it's sort of like in a corner of the photos, or uh, I think there's something fascinating to be said about just uh, uh, image analysis. Uh, but beyond that, the fact that we were looking uh, specifically at the, uh, yeah, I mean, at those watchtowers or other sort of uh, indication of arch an architecture of control, uh, would you? Could you could you tell us a little bit more about the, what this architecture and what this urbanism was about? Because you, you were saying that one of the things that um, people who are not necessarily interested in uh, in the in the um, in or not necessarily very, very well versed in uh, in architectures of control, the history of architecture of control, may have not find any architecture in your exhibition when it's everywhere. <laughs> Uh, could you tell us about specifically about this architecture? Yeah, um, I was fascinated also by the fact that uh, for the French army, uh, a construction site uh, meant that the the French and the Algerians, so the let's say, when I'm, when, when in this very case, in the case of uh, the Camp de Regroupement, when I talk about the French, are almost all, all of them are army mm -hmm. are officers. Uh, and they were part of um, the SAS, which is the Section Administrative Spécialisée, Specialized Administrative Section uh, that was... Um, um, responsible for the evacuation of the people, for the control uh, of the circulation of the people, for the construction of these camps, but also for the gathering of intelligence, for the, between brackets, uh, education of, of uh, the people who were forcibly regrouped there. So for these 
French uh, people, um, the construction sites were uh, the moment of exchanging psychological contact between the French and the Algerian. Um, and another aspect of, let's say, the architecture of control uh, is that the, 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 when the, the Algerian, oh, maybe let's say it this way, uh, when the French believe that if they build, they are going to stay. So in a way, the construction site is a sign of presence. So you build, you are going to stay. It's architecture of occupation, architecture of control as well. Um, control in the sense that um, the special organization of these camps were so strategic and so um, well designed in order to uh, see and be seen as well, but also to create this... Um, this yeah, this visibility. I mean, the watchtower was like the most visible uh, element, but it was also very very difficult to to uh, to find. I mean, to find images with with watchtowers, because these propaganda images meant uh, or were produced in order to show uh, to not show the watchtower. They were produced in order to show that the French army is between brackets civilizing uh, Algerians and they were continuing their uh, almost uh, um, yeah their their colonial civiliza- civilizing uh, mission um, and you see every street every every uh, tree every door uh, every element that was built was part of a larger strategy because in a way the whole territory was um, divided in uh, in uh, sectors and uh, subsectors. There was this uh, policy of uh, quadrillage, um, and uh, the French army created three, main, let's say, main zones, like zoning, as we architects use it as well. You know the zoning. So quadrillage mm-hmm. is is another term to say zoning. The three zones consisted of uh, the zone interdite, as we said at the very beginning, uh, zone de pacification, pacification areas, pacification zones, and zone opérationnelle, so zones of operation. This was the zone of operation where um, zones of, like war zones of warfare, of uh, conflict, armed conflict, the zone of um, pacification, uh, pacification, as Roland Barthes said, is a very, um, uh, again, euphemistic term to say war. Uh, so once the people were regrouped into these uh, camps, uh, the French authority used what they called l'arme psychologique, l'arme psychologique, uh, psychological weapon. Um, so they used um, another kind of propaganda. They used this politics of fear uh, in order to um, somehow not let them work for the liberation fighter uh, and try to uh, win their minds and hearts 
I mean, to the French uh, uh, army. Um, I mean, it's quite difficult, I have to say, to, 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 to describe in, in general terms what this uh, architecture of control is, because there are really a variety of, um, of examples of, uh, of uh, moments where like, a tree could be part of this architecture mm. of control or uh, you know, a veil or you know, elements that are somehow um, not really uh, visible. Mm-hmm. I think this is... Uh, yeah, and, and again, this juxtaposition of all these uh, sources, I mean, photos, videos, texts, uh, and witnesses... Uh, yeah, somehow they all tried to show one aspect and to complexify it because it's extremely, um, yeah. Hmm. I'm not sure how to. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at that picture. That's why I'm looking there yeah. because it's it's uh, it's somehow yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. No, but I, I think what you were what you were saying is uh, was. What you were referring to is maybe the the mobilization of all scale of design mm-hmm. whatsoever mm-hmm. in this con- apparatus of control, not just architecture understood as a as a house or as a as a watchtower, but also as as the uh, the ubiquity of of uh, of apparatuses of control, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, also uh, you know when you get food. When you can uh, get out of the of the camp, when you can mm. talk to someone, when this uh, uh, propaganda uh, uh, cars uh, come to the camp and then show uh, propaganda uh, uh, video, and then the Algerians all of a sudden have the right to talk and talk their language because there is one of these SAS officers who speak to them this the same language and so on. So they are like really, it's the. Um, the control of everyday life mm-hmm. eh? and really of, of every aspect of life and and that's that's uh, yeah that's why it's yeah 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 I feel the, the most compelling uh, 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 at least in in my opinion uh, uh, quotes of, of Fanon is is the one the one where he says that colonialism is not about controlling like the surface of the ground but it's it's the entire atmosphere of breathability and that the uh, Decolonial movements have to be a combat breathing, a breathing combat, uh, which I feel is immensely evocative to... Absolutely, it's extremely appropriate, Mm. absolutely. He talks even about the psychology of Mm. colonialism. I think this is extremely, this is what I I really try to do, to understand the psychology of these spaces, not only the politics of these spaces, but the psychology, Mm. what do they do also psychologically. Which means also the you know, the, tem- the time frame of the existence of this violence it's much longer mm-hmm. because it's in it's in you it's in your body it's in your mind it's in your language it's in your in your in your in everything you do somehow mm-hmm. yes uh, one last thing I'd like to talk about is um, uh, is the legacy of of this uh, history your um, Unveiling with a bad pun here uh, is is the fact that that we're it sounds like we're talking about a history of French and France and Algeria, 
but we're talking about much more than that. We're talking about French colonialism in general and uh, the group regrouping camps were also applied uh, in Cameroon and probably in other in other places of the uh, French colonial empires that have been much less documented than Algeria. Even though it's hard to find information on in Algeria, it remains the the place where it's uh, it remains the easiest. But also about colonialism in general. I mean, we're we, we were talking earlier about the way the Israeli army or the or the um, the U.S. army or the U or the CIA uh, had been influenced by those tactics and. Uh, um could you could you tell us a little bit about how this part this particular uh what may seem as a specific uh, uh apparatus is actually talking to us so much about the present and and a, var- a variety of geographies as well absolutely yeah um the this uh let's say counter revolution uh, um it's um it had many several names uh, during the the Algerian revolution they called it la guerre moderne modern warfare psychological warfare subversive warfare asymmetric warfare uh, also counter insurgency warfare mm, I mean, urban warfare for algiers specifically algiers specifically mm. with the caspa absolutely mm. absolutely with the battle of algiers and the clearing also of the of the slums in Algiers, the Bidonville d'Alger, and so on, absolutely, urban warfare. So, in a way, when when we talk about this uh, large um, uh, counter-revolutionary policy, uh, let's stick on modern warfare, uh, guerre moderne. Uh, it was, there is a book, even by uh, Trinquier, uh, who uh, practiced these policies in Algeria and then he theorized them. There is another book also by David Galula. It's called Counterinsurgency. Pacification, there are two books actually, Pacification in Algeria and then Counterinsurgency. And all these books at the time circulated. I mean, they were like first ex- uh, tested. All the success, between brackets there, eh, of course, the, success, the successes of these policies were theorized, written, uh, archived and exported during the Algerian Revolution to North and South America. So even David Galula himself, he went to the U.S. and the f- one, one of his first books were written in English and not in French. Um, so there was an interest uh, in the 50s and in the 60s uh, of many, many governments in South America and in, in North America and, of course, uh, in uh, in Israel, uh, on how um, the French were were fighting this revolution and how they were waging this subversive warfare, um, and this is not top secret. I mean, there are several uh, counterinsurgency manuals, uh, st- uh, even online, uh, written by the U.S. Uh, Army. And uh, they say uh, openly that uh, the Algerian War of Independence inspired their um, policies in Afghanistan and in Iraq. So it's somehow it has started. It has even started in Indochina, so in 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 the other colo- colony of uh, France, uh, and then continued in Algeria under colonial rule, and then Vietnam with the U.S., of course, 
and then Afghanistan and Iraq and I think it's almost maybe every mm. army has these manuals and every army uh, knows now about these policies so somehow it's um, also the use of torture eh? I mean it's it was discussed and uh, even the Battle of Algiers the movie Battle of Algiers by Gilo Pontecorvo was uh, screened in the Pentagon uh, recently I mean so these policies circulated uh, at the beginning in top secret way and today it's very I mean it's openly uh, uh, I mean the it's, I mean, the, the, the Algerian revolution inspired uh, many uh, armies and inspired the control of bodies and, and, and spaces today, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Samia, thank you so much to talk with me today. Um, thank you very much. I, uh, I, might, um, I might recommend also the, the article of Fabien Sacrist in the 10th issue of The Phenomenalist about uh, regroup, regrouping camps in uh, in the ORS, but I invite anyone who is not too far from Zurich to come uh, see the exhibition. Uh, it's until... The 3rd of June. 3rd of June, okay. Oh, okay, so that <laughs> might be too late for this interview. But uh, uh, and, uh, and I won't surprise anyone by saying that I'm so much looking forward for this book uh, that you will publish in September. Uh, and uh, I can already announce as well that you'll be one of the contributors of the 14th issue of The Phenomenalist in November uh, with an article um, taking place in the Algerian Sahara and uh, in relation to uh, French uh, um, uh, nuclear uh, try, tries out. Uh, but uh, thank you again and, uh, and uh, congratulations on this uh, absolutely crucial exhibition. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.